And this text is the basis for today's sermon. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went into Capernaum by the sea, into the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those, for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, as Vickers just announced, is the gospel lesson recorded in Matthew chapter 4. So it was just a couple of weeks ago that our student pastor, who we give the title of Vicar for his one-year internship, this very one, Vicar Matthew Girdle, said rightly that weekly worship, oftentimes saying the same words over and over again and singing songs that you may or may not know or even like, listening to sermons, weekly worship is boring. And so I leaned in a little bit at that moment to see what he would say next. And he continued, weekly worship is boring unless you actually expect that something supernaturally miraculous is happening every time we gather. So, well said. Now, for the past four weeks, we've been traveling under the banner, worship the king, namely Jesus. We've watched the wise men come from the east to offer their gifts. We've heard God the Father speak from heaven, this is my beloved son, and we have witnessed John the baptizer's testimony, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let the supernaturally miraculous begin, or not. As Jesus steps onto the world stage to begin his public ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, he does so by withdrawing to, of all places, to Galilee. I mean, at first read, it almost seems like Jesus is going backwards, not forwards. He has just come out of 40 days of face-to-face combat with our archenemy, Satan, where he was victorious but surely exhausted. Now, John the Baptist has been arrested and is in prison for criticizing the government, and Galilee is about the most unlikely out-of-the-way place that you can imagine. But please... Do not miss the miraculous in this. Because you see, God loves working this way. He regularly and he intentionally finds places and people that are the most unlikely in order to accomplish his work. And you all know why. Well, so that when it succeeds, the only explanation can be that it was by the grace of God. And so look, look just at the history of this congregation. 111 years ago, a handful of Slovak immigrants from Cleveland came here to work and to worship, and now this? And even more amazing, this means that your little life and my little life are always the perfect starting point for God's grace to break out. Now, what we will have to do first today is to climb up onto God's lap and take a look at the world and our place in it from his perspective. 
Because that's what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah did 800 years before Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Matthew, the writer of this account of Jesus' life, quoted Isaiah at the birth of Jesus. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now that same Isaiah raises his voice again, and he names Naphtali and Zebulon as the place where God will penetrate the darkness of this broken mess of a world with his real presence in the person of Jesus. Now the history of this particular territory actually intensifies the miraculousness of it all. Because these are among the tribes that had rebelled against God. They had set up their own altars and they had worshipped golden calves. This is the place where Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria, had overrun and carried off its inhabitants. But guess what the verses from Isaiah Right after those that Matthew quotes that we also heard this morning from chapter 9, and which his first readers or hearers would have known because they were well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures, especially any verses about the promise of Messiah, their minds would have already been racing forward and their hearts would have swelled as they heard the news that Jesus was going to start in Galilee. You can almost hear them whispering excitedly, that's right, that's right, because the verse right after those Matthew quotes declares that an irrepressible joy is going to break out in that very place. Why? Isaiah shouts, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But it's hard for us sort of grasp the power of this historical context and it's even harder still to grasp that God's plan to rescue and to redeem this world is being played out across centuries when television has trained us to have resolution to the plots of our stories by the end of the episode or at least by the end of season, I don't know, three or four or five. But let this be a lesson to us this morning. That God is at work organizing and arranging the final segment of his story when Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That means, my friends, that we do not have to live in fear that so often expresses itself in either anxiety or in anger. The war in Ukraine, wokeness, critical race theory, more violence and shootings, 12,000 layoffs at Google, 
inflation, increasing levels of mental illness, cancer, and viruses. Look, as difficult as all of that is, the testimony of Isaiah is that none of it is beyond God's work of putting the world right once and for all. And what is mind-bogglingly, if that's a word, miraculous, is the way that God does it. Look, one simple, straightforward sentence that captures God's entire plan for us and his whole creation. Now, I I have preached this sermon so many times that I hope you know what I'm going to say before I say it. But then again, we are forgetful creatures, aren't we? Which is why gathering for worship weekly is so critical for us. Repent means to turn around. I'm reading another James Michener novel entitled Centennial. If you've ever read it, you know it's set on the plains and up into the mountains of the West. And I I just finished a section that included a description of hunting the massive herds of buffalo that roamed the plains by stampeding them off of a cliff. And Michener captures the moment when those at the front of the herd realize that they are running out of room to run and they try to stop and then they're carried over the edge by the momentum of the mob behind them. It is hard to turn around if you're running with the herd. Repentance surely begins with a slap in the face realization that we all have a problem and that we are helpless to overcome it and that left untreated will end in death. The Bible calls it sin but I'm not sure that the herd we're running with in our cultural moment even knows what sin means. Other than you holier-than-thou religious people shaking your fingers and wagging your heads at behaviors and ideas that you don't particularly like. But sin... Sin is separation from God, who is the source of life itself. And it comes in sort of two main varieties with lots of hybrids in between. Sin, on the one hand, is deciding that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, with no consequences. And that's all of the nasty stuff that goes on out there in the world that we imagine, if we can avoid it, that we somehow are not as bad. But if that's the wild variety of sin, mark my words that there is an equally deadly, morally upright, hard-working, go-to-church-every-Sunday variety of sin that says if you will just buckle down and try a little harder, you can merit at least a pat on the head from God for your effort. Indeed, the first part of repentance is turning around with your head bowed and sincerely admitting, I am a poor, miserable sinner. But people, if that's all you ever do, you have missed the best part. Because repentance is also lifting 
up your head to see not a condemning, judging God, but a smiling, gentle, loving one whose arms are outstretched on a cross to sweep you up and to restore you completely as his dearly loved son or daughter. The kingdom of heaven is the world put right. And Jesus is proclaiming that it is at hand, that it is near, because he is here. And the kingdom of heaven is yours right now by faith. That is, by that believing that Jesus, as a flesh and blood human being, lived that perfect life of trust and obedience to God that we were created and designed to live, but have not. Faith is believing that because Jesus is at the same time true God who willingly sacrificed his perfect life on the cross to restore us to a right relationship with God has taken away the sins of the world. This is what we're all about at St. Luke's. Awakening hearts in every generation. The return of Jesus to judge the living and the dead, looms large. The day, of course, is unknown. Yet that the day will come is most certainly known and cannot be ignored. So miraculously, Jesus is breaking into our history again today as you hear the words, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, and the Holy Spirit comes rushing in, and you are empowered to respond, looking forward with longing and with joyful hope. Now Jesus called these four and then eight others who would carry that simple message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, out into all of the world. And it was a very specific call to those 12 individuals to full-time ministry to dedicate the rest of their lives to proclaiming the gospel. So there may be some here this morning who feel that tug at their heart to be a pastor or a teacher or a deaconess or a director of Christian education or a musician. But before you breathe a big sigh of relief, phew, pastor, thanks there for a minute. I thought you were going to say we all need to drop everything and follow Jesus. These words also do that. Jesus has spoken your name, and he has invited each one of us to follow him. So how does that work? How does those, how do those not called into full-time church work answer the call to follow Jesus? Well, I think there's at least a clue in these verses for all of us. Look carefully. Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. James and John left their boat and their father. So can you ask yourself this morning, what is it that defines you? Because I see two primary sources of identity in these verses. The first one, I am what I do. My work defines me. 
And second, my family defines me for better or for worse. But the call to follow Jesus grounds it your identity in him, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his promise coming again to make all things new. Where does your identity come from? Your work. Nope. Your family. Nope. It comes from the one who has called you by name. You belong to Jesus. Now, it is as easy and as hard as getting up every morning and remembering your baptism where you were supernaturally connected to Jesus and then consciously coming back to that identity throughout the day. People, especially when you catch yourself feeling anxious or angry. But let me issue a word of challenge here. Because this is what our weekly worship does. Week after week after week, sins forgiven, identity reestablished. We're ready to begin another week. But sometimes I think that we get very comfortable being professional beginners. The call to follow Jesus is always a movement forward, not just doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. The four in our text spent the next three years listening to and learning from Jesus. Now, I'm not asking all of you to go to seminary. But I am asking, what is your specific plan for 2023 to know Jesus and what he is up to in your life more and more? I'm asking you to get into a Bible study, get into a small group, have conversations with other believers and wrestle together with this call to follow Jesus. I'm asking you to take a good, hard look in the mirror. And if the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, why wouldn't you want more of all of that? So pick one and ask God to help you grow in it this week, this month, this year. I am asking you to consider your time, your treasure, your talents, in other words, your entire life, all of your resources, and to then look for opportunities for direct hands-on service to those around you who need the kingdom of heaven to miraculously break into their lives, just as it has broken into yours. Look, there is so much more in this verse than just your personal salvation. The gospel has a global impact. Following Jesus has both an individual and a corporate response to his call, follow me. The New Testament calls all of us together, the church, those who have answered the call to follow Jesus, the body of Christ. And what Jesus does here at the end of this text, we are called to continue to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the world put right, 
right with God, right with one another, right with the whole creation, right now by faith in Jesus until he comes again to put it right once and for all and forever. Oh, and look closely to attend not just to the spiritual, but also to the physical needs of those who are afflicted. Together, we are awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ, a life of freedom, free from sin, free from fear, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice, a life of renewal. Worship is boring. Unless something supernaturally miraculous has just happened again today. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. Amen.